0: I mean, it's, you're a storyteller. I have a, a background, as you know, in entertainment. As a magician, I've worked on magic shows. I've worked on, on live shows, Broadway type of shows. I've worked on comic books. I've worked on like all kinds of stuff. And it's just good storytelling. Like it's clear about what you're about and the importance of who you are. And now let me tell you about how you're different from everyone else out there.
1: Welcome, trust builders. I'm Sue Dyer, and this is Lead with Trust, where we explore how leaders can build their business on a foundation of trust and reap the rewards of becoming the top performer in their market. Leaders that understand how to use and leverage trust are uniquely positioned to disrupt their industry and dominate their market. Distrust of businesses and business leaders is at an all time high trusted businesses must have trusted leaders, and your team, your customers, and your vendors are waiting for you to step up and elevate the level of trust in your business. My hope is that this podcast can help you start your trusted leader journey. Hey, trust builders. Today, we are really in for a treat. I had the opportunity to interview Mark Levy. Uh, He is just such a phenomenal guy. He is a magician, but has used this magical mindset he has to create a way to help businesses, business leaders, create differentiation in the marketplace. And I just think he's got such an unusual way of looking at things. I think you're going to love this. He has worked with people like Simon Sinek. And uh, you know, helped him with a start with why. you know, he's famous for that. He's also worked with the former head of strategy for the Harvard Business School, and the CEO of Popeye Louisiana Kitchen, the president of UPS, the founder of the fame cult TV show Mystery Science Theatre 3000. He also created the show in New York called Chamber Magic. That has been running for over two decades, and is ranked by TripAdvisor as the city's number one live show, even above Hamilton. So I know he's written for the New York Times, and one of his books, *Accidental Genius*, was been translated now into eleven languages. And for us today, he's going to help us learn how to think differently so that we create trust that differentiates us in the marketplace. It really doesn't matter what kind of business you have. And so let's dive in and listen to Mark. Welcome to Lead with Trust, Mark. I'm so happy so that much. you're here
0: I appreciate you having me on, Sue. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you. Well, uh, again, I ask every guest, what group did you belong to in high school?
0: Yeah, in high school, I was definitely with the uh, the nerds and the outcasts. Uh, <laughs> it's just that my school predominantly was composed of nerds and outcasts. So I, I didn't feel quite as alienated as that as it as it's sounding here. So like we were, we were all uh, malcontents. So that's, uh, uh, but I was always as an out, uh, you know, I I say outcast, I was a really outcast, but you know, when you're a kid, you look at it that way. Uh, uh, And so I would always be looking at things in a, I would consciously try to find something different to separate myself from other, like the music I liked or whatever it is, and so that kind of impulse within me uh, uh, has stayed. And so now I use that with businesses. I make businesses into outcasts
1: or incasts.
0: Right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
1: Well, that's interesting because you still have the same mindset today. So that's. Uh,
0: I do. You're it's building it's up what it is, it's what is this thing about. And what's cool about it? And how do we make that coolness stand out so that people get really excited by by it? Like, that's really all my life what it is uh, kind of I was doing.
1: That's so cool. That's so cool. So I know you have this concept you call the open kitchen. (laughs) Yes. And, And this can help organizations be more honest and trustworthy, which certainly we need to build trust. You know, in your marketplace. So tell us more about that.
0: Yeah. So the open kitchen concept of business to me is this it's that people, the public, to anyone who's listening, the public cares as much about who you are as a human being, as they care about your products and services. They care deeply about why you do the work you do and what your philosophical approach is to the work you do and so forth. And they care what you care about in the world. And so they care so deeply about those things that the more they know about those things, about what drives you and why you're doing this work, the more they understand those things and the more they align with those things. in other words, if, if it suits them, uh, if it fits them, uh, the more they know and align with it, the more likely they are to buy from you. and the better uh, what they the better use they get out of what they buy from you because what they bought comes from you and they trust you. So they want they're going to get better use out of it because they'll say, oh, this comes from Sue, well, she knows what she's doing and this stuff's really important to her. So I'm really gonna use this to its fullest extent, right? It doesn't just come from like someone who doesn't really care. Here's someone who really knows what's up. Does that make sense? So the open so the open kitchen concept, so where this is, this comes from the world obviously of restaurants. So in the old days and put aside the idea of COVID, right now like this is a pre covid thought so in the old days of restaurants where would they put the kitchens they'd put them in the back in the corner in the dark of the restaurant so you'd sit there and you'd say where's my waiter where's my food i wonder if this place is clean you'd sit there and you wouldn't have any information at all about your meal or about what was happening and you'd get really angry Now, though, when enlightened restaurateurs build a restaurant, what they do is they put the kitchen in the middle of the restaurant or in the very front and they don't even have any walls or they might have clear plexiglass walls or handrails or something just to delineate. And that's called the open kitchen concept in restaurants. And so that's because the public, the diners, they wanna see the chef's face. They wanna see how the chef interacts with the wait staff. They wanna see what the ingredients of the meals are and so forth. They wanna see all this stuff. It's important part of them like to feel that they understand everything and what's happening. So that kind of idea of the open kitchen concept is prevalent everywhere in business, places like Patagonia, you know, they have one side of their website where you can buy stuff from them, like sweaters and things like that. But then they also have the half of their site where they tell you the story of their founding and they tell you where they get their materials from and where they're being a success from a sustainability standpoint, but where they're failing from a sustainable, like they're really clear about all this stuff. This idea of open kitchen—it's kind of like—it's—it's it's also the idea. Again, it's prevalent everywhere. Uh, Tesla. If you go into a Tesla dealership, they have the Tesla car in pieces. There, you're not going to buy the car in pieces, but right, you want to see how everything works. Or it's when people watch a movie and they watch the commentary. Of the movie. They're watching the movie along with the director or a star's commentary as to what's happening. That's open kitchen, right? That's showing people what your choices were, what you were thinking. And the more they understand it, the more they appreciate it. That's my long winded way of saying like, whatever business you're in, you need to adopt that strategy. And no matter what business you're in, you can adopt it.
1: Well, let's talk a little bit about, you know, how we would adopt that, um, say for um, a digital business or for a construction business or for, so, so those are things in the concrete world, the digital world, and maybe something that's product and something that's service oriented.
0: Yeah. So things just to throw out things that I've done w- with clients. So, um, you know, putting up your philosophy on the site putting up videos of you explaining your philosophy on the site, giving clients tours of your factories or whatever it is that's happening, including the history about why it started, right? Like it's not, it's nothing terribly difficult. It's just showing like, oh yeah, here's why we do what it is that we do. You know, like here's behind the, think of it in this way, behind the scenes, showing them behind the scenes and why stuff's important to you. Oh, yeah, like uh, our restaurant, we're a Mexican restaurant, but our food, we prepare all our food from this certain region in Mexico. And the reason why we prepare it there, that region's important to us for this reason. And in that region, this particular pepper is grown. I'm making all this up. You know, this particular pepper is grown and what it is, it's a sweeter pepper than others. So our dishes have a, you know, but it's in honor of this kind of festival or something. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. So you are really give it
1: a context and a story to give it a deeper meaning.
0: That's right. That's right. It's set in context. It's, it's like, you know, here's why we're doing it this way. Like, how do you do it? You, you very much adopt some open kitchen principles in the work you do. Like what would be, how, how, how do you do it now? Like, do you tell people about why this works important to you?
1: Uh, Well, I, I am doing more of that now for sure. I don't think I've done that for a long time uh, in my other business that I sold, but in, in Sudico for sure, I think that people understand that this is my life's work and it's it's at the core of what everything i'm doing is to make a transformation within how business is run overall and uh so and that and i've have all these years and years of proving these models and yeah i could be retired but i'm not
0: right right (laughs) And also your you come from backgrounds right i know a bit about your background Both your maternal and paternal, like, you know, both sides of the family, they're heavy duty entrepreneurs, right? Like they were big time entrepreneurs. And so they very much tried to take ownership of their lives and to create, you know, they didn't wait around for things. They tried to to make things better through their own initiative. And so you kind of grew up at the kitchen table growing up like hearing these stories of just like oh if you don't like something in society go do something about it
1: yeah and right. I, I remember too driving with my dad like he owned a company that uh, did worked in with manufacturing it's like he helped build the Matterhorn in Disneyland and, are, you, are you
0: serious really yeah
1: and and then uh, the, the the mechanisms the 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 mechanisms that pull up this the yeah he he helped build that stuff and then he would like the big toothpaste mixers and uh cnh sugar so when they would have an outage on on a weekend i got to go with him
0: <laughs> oh my god you got to go to the Matterhorn. And-
1: i i loved going and just being able to go into the manufacturing plants or the different places where he was working and and help bring apart or or fix whatever was broken <laughs>
0: Oh, my God. I love that. By the way, I have to say this, not that it has anything to do with anything. In 1969, I was six years old. My family, we lived in Flushing, Queens. We flew. We went to Disneyland and I was six years old. My older brother would have been 15. And so he went on the Matterhorn like he went off like I was with my mom and he went off. And, he went, and when he came back, he had this metal hippie medallion like a peace sign or whatnot. And it had a chain or whatnot that you wear around, you know? And he said, you see this, this is a medal I got for being brave and going on the Matterhorn by himself. Really. It was just a hippie medallion that some poor hippie dropped like, and, <laughs> and, uh, and he like just picked it up or so I That's learned this funny. years later, but I remember saying, I need to go on the Matterhorn and get a medal too. Anyway. <laughs>
1: Well, I don't know about many many medals that are given there, but it's still a very fun ride.
0: <laughs> it is, right, right. Right.
1: So, I know that your work is about differentiating people, yes. businesses yes. in the marketplace, and I think there's never been a time that's more important because as we switch businesses to being more and more and more digital and online, And that there seems to be really a need for a personal brand as well as a business brand. Uh, Tell us more about, you know, how we can differentiate. Because I know when I was in my MBA program, there was sort of two ways that you could run your business. You could be the low cost provider like Walmart, or you could differentiate and meaning that you were special to some group or differentiated in some way. So, I know this is your expertise. So I'd just love to you know learn more about what you think about how do we differentiate ourselves?
0: Oh sure. well, first, the idea of needing to differentiate is now it used to be really important, and now it's life or death. Um, the idea even in personal brands in differentiation um i I'll, I'll explain i so if some of your listeners may know Gary Vaynerchuk, yeah. So Gary, super brilliant guy, uh, marketing guy, uh, um, and so I saw Gary speak a couple of years ago, and 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 this is what he said. He he said in the near future, in the next few years, because of voice like voice search, right of people saying into their phone, hey, Siri, whatnot. So search is then gonna be a zero-sum game. I'm not sure he said those words, but that, that's, uh, that was the idea. It was, if, Siri, if you ask Siri, uh, what's a cheeseburger near me? Th- she better say your brand. He was talking to a room, I was speaking at a franchise convention and he was uh, speaking to. So he's speaking to a room of franchisees so he said if the the person says what's a cheeseburger that i can eat around here the she better say your cheeseburger otherwise you're done like with voice you often don't get this long rollout of like lots and lots and lots of pages. You only get like a few selections or even sometimes one selection, right? So it's essential that when someone asks for a cheeseburger, like she better say Big Mac or she better say Whopper with cheese or whatever your cheeseburger is. Otherwise, you're not going to be on the search page anymore. And he said, that search is only going to go more in that direction now, this zero something, this not people searching for pages. It's like just kind of the initial one or two, whatever, uh, options. So if you think about that with you and your business, right, or you and your personal brand, it's like you've got to stand out now. And so the way that you stand out, so by differentiating, you don't differentiate in a vacuum, you were always differentiating against something else, right? It's always against. Because if you were in a field where you had no competition, all you'd have to do is tell people what you did. And like, that would be it. But if you have competitors in your field, it's standing out from them. So whatever you differentiate around has to be in response to something that they stand for if that makes sense, right? So uh, uh, one way that I have people differentiate is I sometimes do an exercise. Uh, I call it the stereotypes exercise. And it's the idea of, imagine someone walks into your organization and they know nothing about your organization. They know uh, other than you're in a certain category, but they don't know anything about your prices or anything like that. And, but it doesn't mean that they come in with open, empty minds waiting for you to fill their minds up with goodness. Even if they don't know you, they come in with preconceived notions, with stereotypes about what you're going to say to them, about what your prices are, your services, your guarantees, how you do the work you do, and so forth, right? They're stereotypes about what it is that you're going to tell them. And so, I have clients sometimes first come up with what all the stereotypes are and some of them, right? Some of them will be true for the client, but others not like, what are all the stereotypes? And then the second part of the exercise is what are all the ways you are different from the stereotypes? What ideas, insights, stories, business practices, like, like what are all the ways you are different? And by looking at those differences, we then pick the one that's strategically most interesting, or we put together some in a way that creates a differentiation that they can get behind. Right? Does it, that make sense? I, it does.
1: I, can you can you give me an, a, an example of how you would put it together? Because that's what I'm not sure. Of. Would it be just uh, like a sentence? Would it be uh, a group of sentences? It would be. Does it change the offerings, or is it just really how you how you well? Can it can be yourself so, in the world.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great questions. So let's say, let me give you an example, like Volvo. So Volvo, everyone knows what does Volvo stand for? Safety, right? Everyone, there's no one who who won't put your
1: baby that. on board,
0: right? Right, exactly. So when Volvo, they're the safe car. You buy them if you want your you and your family safe. That was initially a marketing claim. So however many decades ago, I don't know if it was in the 80s or the 70s or the 60s, it was during that time, Volvo said, oh, wow, well, we can't be a fancy sports car like a Lamborghini, like people won't go for that, like go fast, they won't go for that, because we're not our cars, we're like, you know, these, you know, middle of the road cars. And uh, uh, I don't mean quality, but I mean, like, they weren't like aerodynamically like a Lamborghini, like." We're not this, we're not that. Other people have claims on those ideas. And so they said, hey, wait a minute. People like to not die when they're driving. Why don't we say that we're the safe car? They were no safer than any other car. They just decided, they said, no one's using that. And we think that might be important. Let's say that. So they made that claim and it started to work people started to like it. They said, oh yeah, I want me and my family safe. They started to buy it. And so now um, now they started to say, oh my God, now we need to start building extra safety into our cars, you know, with the steel frame and all those kinds of things. So that does that make sense? Um, yeah, they, uh, found,
1: they found something that they were already doing and they could do more of that nobody else was doing.
0: Right, and here's another example based on what you said. Oh, how would you make this happen? So years ago, I was working with an architectural, uh, an industrial architect firm uh, in Princeton, New Jersey. So they would make they would make buildings for like Merck and Ciba and places like that, like like office complexes. Uh-huh. And I said what is, right? Because we're looking at stereotypes. I said, what's the biggest stereotype about industrial architects? Like why, what would people who came in to see you, even though they don't know you, what would they not like instantly without even knowing you? And the principal, the company said, oh my God, that's so easy. That business people think that all industrial architects, that we're unreliable business people, that we think of ourselves as artists. And we just want to build a building that's a homage to our artistic vision that will go over price, will go over. uh, Time frame, you know, we 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 won't keep up with any of that stuff. We just want we won't return their phone calls or their emails. We just want to have our name on something that we can point to with pride uh, that suits our artistic temperament. And so it doesn't matter the business consequences. And so business people feel that way. And I said, "Are you that way?" And he said, "No, we're very reliable." And I said, "Okay, great. I want you to gather." every fact, figure, and story, and statistic that shows that you are reliable, and we're going to put it together in like a brag sheet or like a little script all around the idea that you're reliable. So it's And we're going to print it out, and we're going to give it to everyone in the company, the principals, the architects, the drafts people, the the people answering the phone, so that if people ever want to use it, they don't have to read it, They don't have to follow it in any way, but they just have some facts, figures, and stories that substantiate why you're reliable. Does that make sense? So it sounded like this, right? It's the fact that we're the reliable industrial architect from. So everything I'm going to say to you points to reliability. It's not just a mass of facts, figures, and stories. It's all of those, like, essentially say, we're reliable, here's why. These are the bullet points about why we're reliable. So where are the reliable industrial architect from? We've been in business for almost 20 years. In 20 years, we've done almost 4,000 projects. We have 214 repeat clients, including the first client who ever hired us when we opened our doors 20 years ago, the Lakewood School District. They're still our client today. On average, our clients hire us for over 16 projects. On the commercial side, we deal with Merck, Bayer, Seba Geige, Paul Miller, Bentley, Rolls-Royce, you know, big prestigious places. On the um, industrial, that's not the right word, not industrial, but whatever side. Uh, we deal with the Wharton Police Department and the Mendham Fire Department. We have twenty-four people working here. They've been in the industry on average for over twelve years, and they've worked for us for over seven years. We were New Jersey Business Monthly Magazine. We were one of the ten best places to work in New Jersey last year. We, you know, like blah blah blah.
1: Yeah. Does yeah. that
0: make sense? Including stories that uh-huh. show that they're reliable. So again, we created this, we had everyone in the company memorize it and it wasn't like some test. It wasn't like the SATs. It wasn't <laughs> like, I want you to deliver this script verbatim all the time. It's just now if they like go out to dinner or so and someone says, oh, how's work? Do you like the place you work? And it's like, oh my God, we're great. You know, we were New Jersey Business Monthly Magazine, one of the 10 best places to work. You know, and the people, we have our first customer who ever hired us 20 years ago, like people really trust us. You know what I mean? It's like that. It's like you, you mix and match however whatever's easy for you. That's cool. I
1: hope you're enjoying the show. Sorry to interrupt, but if you're looking to improve any area of your life, one of the first things you'll want to do is to figure out where you are today and where the gaps are, and then really get clear on where you want to go. Visionary leaders need clarity, like human beings need oxygen. It's essential. That's why my team and I put together a great starting point for you on your Trusted Leader journey. It's called the Trusted Leader Profile, and it will allow you to take charge of the atmosphere in your business by helping you understand your Trusted Leader style and how you can elevate the level of trust in your business. With understanding, you can make better choices and grow the level of trust and your results. For being a listener to the show, it's 100% complimentary for you to access the profile. All you have to do is go to www.sutico.com slash profile and SUTICO is S-U-D-Y-C-O. Again, that's www.sutico.com profile. I really believe that the profile will help you understand the norms you bring to your business and unlock the next level of leadership for you. I know that you were a part of work with Simon Sinek to help him come up with his differentiation. Tell me tell me a little bit about that story.
0: Oh, I usually with individual clients like that, I don't usually like to talk sure. about it specifically. Okay. Not just that whenever... nothing, nothing bad. I mean, the guy's a genius. I hear you amazing or whatnot.
1: It's, yeah. it's yeah. yeah, well, it's on your website. That's why I just Well,
0: right, right. The his quote is. That's right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. So everybody can go to the website.
0: Right, right, exactly. And see
1: your Thank clothes. you for
0: asking them. Yeah.
1: You got it. Okay. So how important is building trust with your clients when you're working to differentiate yourself?
0: Well, the idea of differentiation or or your brand or whatever it is, it's all predicated on the idea of trust. Like there would be you you wouldn't have a your brand would be. A a brand is a promise that you deliver over and over again. So that has to do with trust. By the way, what I was going to say was if people can't rely upon you to deliver the same kind of thing over and over again, then you have this helter-skelter kind of brand. And it's not a brand, but actually it is a brand. I was going to say like the Joker from Batman. Like the Joker from Batman is a brand that he's going to cause chaos, you know, like that's predictable. He's going to cause mayhem and chaos. That's part of his brand. So forgive me for going there, but it's this, it's this idea of you will, that, you know, you're brought in for a specific thing and they can trust that you're going to bring that to them. Yeah. You know
1: what, what pops in my mind as you say that is that every leader of every business has their brand within their business and externally. And you can't really escape that. So Everything you're doing is creating your brand, particularly nowadays because social media and other ways that we can connect with people now much more easily with technology actually amplifies that. So more and more important to have uh, a brand that you want
0: right right yeah a brand right that's a great point um a brand uh to me or a diff point of differentiation like it shouldn't be confining it should be liberating but it just helps people be more comfortable with who you are and what it is that they might expect from you it's it it's a, this idea of Sometimes when people are trying to create differentiation or a brand, they get all kinds of crafty and they do all kinds of fancy things and they won't really say what it is that they do. And I say, look, I say, I'm mad. I usually start sentences with look, by the way. Look, when you, when people go to a restaurant, if you just sit down and you ask the, and the waiter says, let me tell you our specials. And they start saying all these unusual names and unusual and you don't quite know what it is, like what you, language this is and so forth. It'll make you really nervous, like you'll, you're going to get angry or nervous. You want to know that going into that restaurant, like I had said before, I talk, you want to know, oh, this is a Mexican restaurant. So now you can listen in a more comfortable way as you listen to the specials. Because now it'll make sense because there's an overarching, oh, it's Mexican food. You know, I may find it spicy and so forth. Like there are things you don't want to, people want to define you and you want to let them define you. It's just that you want to then show them how you're a little different and better than their definition. And by the way, um, uh, an elevator speech format that I created kind of sums this up best. I often have people say, like, let's say you're a leadership consultant, right? But this could work for anyone. This could... Uh, if you were a a credit card company, whatever it is, but I'll just say leadership. And it would be like, oh, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a leadership consultant. I'm a leadership expert. I help companies like blah, blah, blah with their leadership, but I do leadership in a really unusual way. Let me tell you about, and then you tell them about, right? So it's, oh, leadership With companies like American Express and blah, blah, blah. And like they work with these people. Interesting. Oh, and so I get you. Mexican restaurant, like that's the Mexican restaurant part. But I do leadership in a really unusual way. And now you tell them about how you're distinct. But they're really listening for it now. You know what I mean? Because they're leaning in.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's you're a storyteller. I I have a, a background, as you know, in entertainment as a magician. I've worked on magic shows. I've worked on on live shows, Broadway type of shows. I've worked on comic books. I've worked on like all kinds of stuff. And it's just good storytelling. Like, it's clear about what you're about and the importance of who you are. And now let me tell you about how you're different from everyone else out there. You know, like everyone's going to listen. Yeah.
1: A couple of things that stood out to me from what you were just talking about are some of the, the elements that create trust. And one was transparency that yes. you're talking about, you know, sharing who you are and what you're doing and, you know maybe it's what's different about you but you're being more transparent than you might otherwise be you're not behind the wall you're not the kitchen behind the wall exactly and then the second part that was about consistency that you know people can trust you because you're going to follow through you're going to do what you say you're going to you're going to pro- provide what it is they have purchased or they're going to purchase and they feel confident about it so those are really critical elements to creating trust and becoming a trusted leader or trusted business.
0: Right. Uh, Right. Well said. And really this idea, you talked about transparency, like this idea of finding differentiation is not quite as hard as people sometimes think. So an example, uh, I like to tell this story sometimes. Um, It's a, a very early story about transparency. So In the early 20th century, there was an advertising man, very famous back then, like he dealt with Wrigley's gum and all kinds of things. His name was Claude Hopkins. He famously wrote a book called Scientific Advertising back in like, I think the teens or the twenties. And so Claude Hopkins got a call from the Schlitz brewery. And the guy from the Schlitz Brewery said, Mr. Hopkins, there are eight big breweries in the United States. And on that list of eight big breweries, we're number eight. We're in last place. We need your help. And Claude Hopkins said, I'm positive I can help you. But in order to help you, I'm going to have to take a tour of your brewery. And the guy from Schlitz said, Mr. Hopkins, I don't think you'll find much if you take a tour of our brewery. But if that's a condition of hiring you, it's very easy to grant. You're in uh, Chicago, we're in Milwaukee, just hop on a train, you know, 1905 or whatever, and come over here and we're happy to give you a tour. And Claude Hopkins did just that. And what he saw at the Schlitz Brewery astonished him. The first thing they showed him was an artesian well, 3,000 feet deep. It went that deep because Schlitz wanted to make a pure beer and they thought the purest water on earth was that deep. If they stayed too close to the surface, there'd be all these impurities and sediments and things like that. So they went super deep. And by the way, artesian well means that the water, the pure water was spewing up like a geyser from the ground. And Hopkins was very impressed seeing this. And then they showed him a machine that triple steam cleaned every bottle before they put the beer in it. Again, if they want to make a pure beer, the water needed to be pure and the bottles needed to be clean. They, they couldn't introduce you know, sediments then. And then they showed him under lock and key, underground in a vault, uh, what Hopkins called was a single mother yeast cell. It was a single cell that had taken Schlitz brewers and scientists, a thousand and experiments in order to make this single uh, mother yeast cell. It had the exact flavor of Schlitz beer that the Schlitz hierarchy, like for every bottle of Schlitz that ever had been made, it tasted like this thing and every bottle of Schlitz that ever would be made tasted like this single mother yeast cell. It had the exact flavor that, they, that the Schlitz hierarchy wanted replicated throughout time for Schlitz. It was essentially the great, 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 great grandmother of all Schlitz all time. And Hopkins was standing like a few feet away from this thing and he was freaking out. And so Hopkins said, why aren't you telling everyone about these wonders? And the guy from Schlitz said, Mr. Hopkins, I told you you wouldn't understand it and you don't understand it. These are not wonders. This is how you brew beer at scale. This is how we brew beer, and this is how every one of our seven other competitors brews beer at scale. As a matter of fact, if we blindfolded you and we pulled down all our signs from all the breweries and we like put you in one and took the blindfold off, you would have no idea where you were because we do everything. We all do everything so alike. So, what we're doing here is nothing special at all. What we're doing here is very, very ordinary. And Claude Hopkins, the famous advertising man, said, Well, maybe. But the public doesn't know that. And so Hopkins proceeded to write a series of long advertisements detailing every single thing he saw, detailing the 3,000-foot artesian well, the triple steam cleaning bottle machine, the 1,017 experiments, the lock, the key, single mother yeast cell, all that and more. He put into these ads, and they ran him in places like the Saturday Evening Post. And in under a year, Schlitz went from being number eight in America to being tied, at least, for number one. So to me, the moral of that story is what is ordinary to you may be extraordinary to your marketplace if they only knew about it. So sometimes your differentiation doesn't have to be anything extraordinary. It's something that you're doing that others are doing. It's just that the world doesn't know about it. So by you bringing it to people's attention, it's almost like you're claiming ownership in a way, in people's minds, at least for it.
1: I love that idea because I do think that differentiation and positioning is about in the the minds of your customers or potential customers. And uh, I do think that entrepreneurs, business leaders, even government leaders are so entrenched in their own everyday day, day in and day out, or creating their business, that they don't see it. I think that's where uh, a consultant like you can be so helpful because You can mirror back what you see as different that uh, some of us may not see. We just don't see it because it's just, it's just how it is. Right.
0: (laughs) Right. It's uh, like I was working recently and I'm trying to think about how much I can say about this, but I was working recently with a client and I asked him, I said, so why did you start this business? Like, what's your backstory? And he said, oh, I'll tell you what my backstory is. That's really easy. And he told me this story about being with this group of investors and coming up with this idea for the business with the group of investors. And I said, and that's the story he had been telling. You know, like, in in other words, if you would ask him on a podcast or something, or if he was pitching for like seed money or whatnot, like that's the story he would tell but I said, well, that's not your backstory. That's a story. I'm not saying it's not a real story, but your backstory is like why you fell in love with this idea and like why you're in this business at all. And anyway, we went back 20 odd years in time. Anyway, I I don't want to say the story for, again, I'm not sure for NDA reasons, uh, if I should say it yet, but It's this, when he tells this story now, it's magical. And as a matter of fact, like the idea of his story about why he started the business drives the entire business now. Like we created that. It's The the story is real. When I said we created that, I don't mean like- Right, no, but you took the words and put them together. (laughs) It's just that story about why he started this whole business back from when he was in college, like why he started it, the idea behind that story is now it's the idea of the business itself. And so that means not only is it's the business differentiation, but it's the products and the services that the business have. They're all behind that idea. All stemming from, oh, well, I'll tell you how I fell in love with this idea and why I started it. Like it went back to high school and then in college. And boom. And it's like, okay, boom. That's what your business is. Like, that's why people will buy it, buy things from you if you tell them that story from high school and college. Does that make yeah?
1: Oh, yeah, that, that's awesome. Because I'm experiencing that even with working with you, is that you know, I have been doing this stuff for so long that I don't see the uniqueness about it. <laughs> but talking with you, you can help me see see it and how to frame it. Still the same stuff, just framing it differently.
0: Right, right. You know, and again, it, it's not as hard. I, I understand that people can't see it for themselves, but uh, it's not like splitting the atom. It's not the hardest. <laughs> like what differentiation really is, is, you know, if, if they're making white t-shirts, my t-shirt's going to be black. If they're making short sleeve t-shirts, my t-shirt's going to have long sleeves. If their t-shirt has words on the front, mine's going to have words on the back. If theirs has words on the front and back, I'm going to have picture, a picture on the front of mine. If theirs is crew neck, I'm going to have turtleneck, you know, whatever. Like yeah. that in its simplest form. It's just that you have to find the right thing to differentiate. But in its most basic form, that's what differentiation is, what I, what I was just describing. That's cool. Yeah. Well,
1: I know you're a magician and yes. I think magicians think differently, you yes. know, you're thinking ahead, you're, you're putting it all together. So tell me a little bit of your, your unique perspective on business from your magician, magician mind. Tell us how we can maybe use that mindset in helping to position us or how you use it in your mind to help position your clients.
0: Right. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I have a background since I was four years old, I was interested in magic. And so uh, I've been doing magic on and off for a lot of years. You know, I was the magic consultant on magic for dummies. I did, you know, and so forth, some TV shows and, and things of that nature. And I, I, I co-created uh, what, uh, um, at least until recently on TripAdvisor was the highest rated live show in New York City. It's run for over 20 years, Chamber Magic. And it's actually rated higher than even the show Hamilton. So I both created the branding, the differentiation for that uh, show. And also I co-create the magic tricks for that show. So that would be uh, you know, a heavy duty background in magic. And when, when you're a magician, there are a bunch of things that magicians do that are different than a normal person. But one of the things is to make a really great magic trick, uh, you have to go for the freak out is what I call it. Go for the so, freak out. Huh? <laughs> yeah. So when you do a magic trick, if the trick that you're doing is too subtle, it won't work for anyone. So an example of a subtle trick would be for me to say, Sue, can I borrow a quarter from you? And then I say, what's the date on the quarter? And you say 2017. And now I say, I take the quarter, I put it in my hand, I make a magic pass over it, I open it, and I say, now read the quarter's date. And now it says 2018. That would be a horrible magic trick because it's too subtle to really register You might say, oh, well, maybe I misread the date when I was looking at it. Maybe it's dark in here. Maybe I have bad eyesight. Maybe, you know, Levy was shaking or so, like holding it, and I couldn't really read it well. You know, there's all kinds of factors. To freak people out, you need to ask for your coin, give you a Sharpie marker, ask you to write your initials in Sharpie on the coin Take I take the coin, put it in my hand, snap my fingers, and I open it, and now your coin is turned into a live box turtle with your self-same initials on the shell, and then I give you the box turtle, and it's yours. So that's a trick that would freak you out, it would stop you in your tracks, and you'd never be able to stop talking about it. you tell other people about it, you'd, you know, you'd think about it at night when you were you know, on the way home, in the car, and so forth. So for magicians, they need, they usually, we need to go for the freak out. It's how do we amplify this to such a way that people go like, that's not possible, you know, like, oh my God, like, you know, so subtlety doesn't work. And so when I work with people in their businesses, uh, we often, the differentiation that we go for may be, they need to stand out right? I say, you know, like the good news is you're going to stand out. The bad news is you're going to stand out. So if you're uncomfortable standing out, you should not differentiate yourself. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just not going to work. If you if you just want to be one of the crowd, standing out's not going to work for you. So the stuff that we come up with really does make people stand out. And It has to be, it has to be something that the audience, like your marketplace will want to talk about, right? The same way they talk about the live box turtle, it's talking about, oh, you mean I need to start with why? You know what I mean? Like it's that kind of thing. It's, it's ways of actually changing the public's consciousness, like creating conversations about things uh, that people have just not thought that way before about them. Does that answer your question?
1: Yeah, I think that's awesome. I, I, yes, I think it helps us all to see how we might think differently in order to differentiate ourselves. And I love the freak out factor. You know, if yeah, people are well, freaking out about what you're doing, then maybe we, we need to be piling some other things on there and doing it differently.
0: That's right. Well, and also, you know, you can be freaking at people out in a number of ways. Like if going for your overall differentiation is too grand for you, it's too scary. And it is for people sometimes. It's like, what are all the different things you can do in your service that are very different? Then, you know, I know of one business owner uh, who, who this was from years ago. He went to a company, to their warehouse, they hadn't paid him. And they said, we haven't gotten your goods that you sent us. And he said, I sent them, I know that you got them, they're in your warehouse. And he said, I'm gonna come to your warehouse and find them and show them to you so then you'll pay me. And they said, okay, go ahead. And so they went to the warehouse and the warehouse was enormous. And there were boxes, there were tens of thousands of boxes everywhere and they were all identical brown boxes. You know, including his. They were regular boxes, you know, like that you'd get anywhere. So he said, Oh my God, he said, I'm blending in with everyone else. So from that, he started to use white boxes. He started to put his picture on the boxes. He put a joke on the boxes. He put, you know what I mean? He started to do stuff. And then and then he expanded out from there, differentiating in other ways. But that's an that's an example of different. If all the boxes are brown, mine are going to be white. If all the boxes have no personality to them, I'm going to have this picture of me smiling on it with a caption saying, isn't this guy handsome on it? You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) right? That's differentiation. That's great. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, I so appreciate you being here on Lead with Trust. And how can people get a hold of you and find out more about what you do? Well, I hope they
0: don't get a hold of me. Jesus. Yeah. Well, they kind of, right. Model <laughs> me. Uh, uh, if they want to, they want to speak to me. Uh, so my website is levyinnovation.com. That's L-E-V-Y. And then the word innovation.com. And my, you can, my email and, and, you know, stuff's there. So you can find me at levyinnovation.com.
1: Perfect. Well, I think this is a great way for us to all be thinking how we might change up and freak out and uh, differentiate ourselves uh, over this next year. I know I have a lot of food for thought. I'm going to be implementing some of these ideas. Thank you so much, Mark.
0: Thank thank you. you so much. And thanks everyone for listening. I appreciate it.
1: Hey, I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Lead with Trust. And that wherever you're listening to this podcast, you will subscribe, And if you enjoyed this episode, send it to someone who you think can really use this message that you got today. And also, please leave us a review. You know, your honest review, wherever you listen to your podcasts, would be much appreciated. And of course, the more reviews we get, the better they are, the better for the podcast. I'm truly on a mission to get more and more people to understand that trust is the essential element. So I hope you'll be part of that. You know, this show really exists to help you leaders to build your business on a foundation of trust so that you can reap the rewards of becoming that top performer in your market. I see over and over where no one can possibly reach the levels of those people that understand how to build a high trust culture in their business. Now, today, if you're really curious about starting your Trusted Leader journey, you can get started right away if you just take the free Trusted Leader profile and you can learn where you fall along the Trusted Leader continuum. And this really can unlock your confidence on where you are and what you need to do. It's very specific on what you can do gives you a snapshot of your leadership style. So if you want to take that, just go to www.sudecosudyco.com and then forward slash profile, and you will get immediate access to the Trusted Leader Profile. Once again, that is sudyco.com forward slash profile. All right, that's a wrap. I just can't wait to hang out with you again on our next episode.